coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. May 7th edition of the PFT PM podcast. Had to rush in from the effort to get the new grill properly installed. Had some assistance, meaning I stood there and watched a couple of others handle it. I did participate from time to time. I found a way to make myself useful, primarily by staying the hell out of the way. It is quite an impressive grill, and it was one of those occasions where everything went incredibly well, and it went too well. It all fit perfectly, exactly in the space in the outdoor patio area where the old grill was. Everything was going perfectly fine, the gas line, everything, until it was time to lift the lid. And when it was time to lift the lid, there was a shelf behind it that prevented the lid from being lifted. But I think we solved it. Move it out a little bit. We're going to do some stuff to make it a little more aesthetically pleasing. There's a gap in the back that we're going to build up uh, something down there aboard with some bricks to fill up the gap to make it not look as bad as it currently does. Currently, it doesn't look bad. It's just an issue of critters or other things getting down between the wall and the back of the grill. So, so far, the grill is a success. I, I am monitoring for any sounds of explosions. I think we'll be fine. We did smell some gas initially, but we tightened up the connection a little bit more and no more gas smell. It's always good to not smell gas of any variety. And I think we're good to go. Very high-end professional grill that will probably be filthy and nasty and ruined within a week or so once I start using it to cook every single meal. I'll find a way to cook every meal on the grill between now and whenever the grilling season ends, although with a natural gas grill in an area with a covered roof, hell, any day is grilling day. A couple of things to talk about that have developed since PFT Live. First, the decision of the NFL Players Association to file a couple of different grievances against the NFL arising from the anthem issue unrelated to the collusion grievances. And this is the union taking the action on behalf of the players. The collusion grievances were filed by the players with their own legal representation. The NFL Players Association filing a grievance on behalf of Eric Reed against the Bengals and other teams that failed to consider him based upon his refusal to abandon his anthem protest. Remember the report that we had a few weeks back that when Reed met with Bengals owner Mike Brown, Brown asked him about the question of whether he intended to continue to protest. And then later in the meeting with the team, Reed was asked, do you have any answers you want to change from what you said to Mike Brown? He said, no, no offers were forthcoming, yada, yada, yada. Grievance for making his intent to continue to protest and or his refusal to abandon his right to protest, making that an issue in whether or not the Bengals would offer him employment. And, you know, most employment rights are provided to employees by the government, either under federal or state law. This right to protest is something the NFL gave to the players, and it may have been accidental and inadvertent at first. When they drafted the policy that says you must be on the sideline, you should stand during the national anthem. People have said the players have politicized the anthem. Actually, the NFL originally politicized the anthem by dragging the players out of the locker room and making them props in this ongoing effort to wrap the NFL in the flag. And wouldn't that have been about the time, 2009, remember the controversy about all the money the NFL was taking from the military as part of these military tributes, the overt nod to the various branches of the armed services because there is such an overlap, such a natural connection between football and military. I need to go back and look at when the programs were happening where NFL teams were getting paid by the military to do military tributes. It's possible that at or about that same time, that's when the NFL decided to make players props and to be more overt in the displays of pregame patriotism. 
If they'd never brought the players out of the locker room for the anthem, this issue never would have emerged. Because the national anthem provides the players with that one rare platform for protesting. Think about it. Anything else that Colin Kaepernick would have done if he would have worn a headband with the name of the most recent victim of police brutality and excessive force, they would have told him you can't do that. It would have been Super Bowl 30, Super Bowl 20, getting my decades confused, Super Bowl 20 all over again. And the run-up to that when Jim McMahon was wearing the headbands and eventually wore a headband that said Roselle on it. Remember that? If it had been a policy that infringes on the NFL's ability to market space on the players, then, oh boy, you know the NFL would have said, you can't do it. But in 2016, when Kaepernick was spotted sitting during the anthem, that's when the NFL said players are not required to stand, they're encouraged to stand. That was the moment. That was the point where the NFL reached a fork in the road. And they could have said... Players have to stand. Yeah, the policy says must be on the sidelines, should stand. It means stand. It's a polite way of saying you got to stand. But they didn't do that. They said players have the right to protest in a roundabout way. Players aren't required to stand for the anthem. Then in 2017, when it all reached a new level, thanks to the president and his attack on the league and attack on the players, he wanted the league to prevent any player from playing who refused to stand for the anthem, that's when the NFL reiterated that the player has the right. So the argument is, okay, there's no rule that says I must stand. If anything, the rule allows me to not stand. So this is an inappropriate attempt to violate my rights by taking into account my exercise of a right the NFL has given me when deciding whether or not to hire me. It's that simple. It's that simple. The separate grievance that was filed today, a broader attack at the NFL for failing to enforce the reality that teams can't require players to stand during the anthem. See, the NFL on one hand says, hey, players have the right to protest, but the NFL won't tell the teams you can't ask players whether or not they intend to protest. And in turn, presumably, you can't refuse to sign a player who won't commit to standing during the national anthem. So that's where that stands, and we'll see where it goes from here. But now four separate legal challenges all arising from the anthem protests. And and again, we have to have a shorthand reference to it. I understand that no one is protesting America. No one is protesting the flag. No one is protesting the anthem. They are using the platform provided by the anthem as an opportunity to protest against the manner in which African-Americans and people of color are treated by law enforcement. And every day, it seems like, or at least once a week, there's another story about an encounter between police and minority citizens gone bad. Did you see the video recently of the white woman who was letting the two police officers have it in a very aggressive and profane way? And they acted like they were being chewed out by their principal. People can deny it all they want, but this is a real issue. It's a real issue. And think about the fear that, you know, for for every person who finds himself or herself on the wrong end of police violence, think of all the fear that's been instilled in all the African-Americans and people of color who don't find themselves on the wrong end of violence. Just the mere idea That any given interaction with police can instantly, instantly go wrong. And by go wrong, mean you're dead. Instantly. Somebody who doesn't have proper training. Somebody who is carrying around institutionalized concepts of race. Somebody who assumes that because that person in the car that they're walking up to isn't white, that that person is more of a threat. So I'm going to have the hand a little bit closer to the gun. I'm going to be ready if there's any erratic movement. And think of that fear. And it all comes back to the training. 
The point that Colin Kaepernick made the first time he spoke to the media about this, that it's easier to get a license to wield a hairdryer in California than it is to be a law enforcement official. Shouldn't it be more difficult? Shouldn't the standards be higher? Shouldn't the police officers want the standards to be higher? I've said this before. I'll say it right now. If I've been on the force 20 years and all of a sudden somebody shows up wet behind the ears, I want to know that person is ready. I want to know that person is trained. I want to know that person is educated. I want to know I can count on that person when the time comes to deal with a difficult situation for my own well-being. Not just the well-being of the people from the public who interact with the police officers, but me. I don't want somebody pulling out the gun and waving it around and getting all nervous. Not properly skilled or equipped in how to use lethal force. That's where a lot of our focus should be. Instead of worrying about who's standing and who's kneeling during the national anthem, how about we focus on whether or not the standards need to be higher for who among us will be entitled to carry lethal force and use it at their discretion. Oh, it's a huge mess on the back end if you use it, but that doesn't stop it from being used in the moment. You want people who in the moment understand the gravity of what they're doing and understand the balance between protecting themselves and unnecessarily and unjustifiably taking life. And even if that interaction doesn't go bad, that constant fear that any given day that you get in your car and go out for a drive could be the day that you end up dead. So that's what the protests are about. We can make it something it isn't because it fits better into whatever political box we're trying to check. But let's remember what it's about. And when I use the shorthand anthem protest, I do not intend to in any way take away because I get it. I'm all in. For me, the eureka moment was when I did the research into California law and the applicable regulations. And I saw the difference in the hours of training and experience necessary to get that, that license to carry lethal force versus the license to have a, a hairdryer and a curling iron. And I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. All right. What else is going on? I saw that Ryan Switzer wasn't happy with how we handled a story did an interview with 24-7 Sports. Switzer said the Cowboys wanted to use him in sort of the way they're going to use Tavon Austin. But ultimately there was a quote that we drew out of the story that Switzer disagreed with. The more I think on it, I think the Cowboys had a different plan for me than what I was capable of doing. I don't know. Looking back, I had two or three rushes in the NFL before receptions. And I was taking reps at running back at times. I don't know if they were trying to use me like a scat back or what. There was a lot of talk about my high school days and being a running back. And I don't think I ever fit that mold as a change of pace back or someone with slide sweeps and carries. I don't know if that's the plan they had for me because it was never spoken. But when I try to piece these things together, it's kind of what I'm thinking. I think that had a little bit to do with it because I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, they gave the guy away for Jihad Ward, who was going to be cut by the Raiders. They got Tavon Austin, and they dumped Ryan Switzer. Just dumped him. And Switzer didn't like the fact that we focused on his explanation of what the Cowboys envisioned for him and that they didn't want him to do the things that he can do. They maybe wanted him to do some things he can't do. And Yeah, look, these are not all Chamber of Commerce articles. We are not going to survive if we only draw and if we read these interviews looking for the flowery and the glowing and the aspirational. Sometimes that's the most interesting thing in an interview. We look for what's interesting, and we assume that what's interesting to us is what's going to be interesting to other people. And you can call it clickbait. I mean, that's a dismissive way to say, hey, you know what, your business is about presenting to the NFL audience stories that they will be interested in reading. So, hey, here's a story you may be interested in reading. If you want to read it, read it. Clickbait, I think, more is about misrepresenting what the story really is, what the quote really is, taking the quote out of context, hyping the angle into something that when you click on it, you think, oh, man, that really wasn't. That really wasn't what I thought. 
I mean, clickbait became a derisive term, just like fake news. But you know what? When you have 280 characters on Twitter or a headline that people are going to see in a news feed or however they get this information, you got to use it to entice people to read it. And we try to do it fairly and we try to do it accurately. But yeah, it is bait. We want you to read what we have. Boy, there's a shocker. Company tries to make money by promoting its goods and services. Gee, what a bunch of shitholes for doing that. So, look, I got nothing against the kid. He's from West Virginia. I've been rooting for him. But the reality is, he said some things that are interesting. And we're not going to throw a bunch of puff pieces out there. Leave that to the team's website. See, that's what happens. When there are people out there, NFL-owned and operated websites, NFL owned and operated TV stations, shows that are produced and presented by the NFL that only ever hype and hype and hype. Some of the shows I see on there, I think all teams are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Every team is going to go undefeated. Every team is going to win the Super Bowl. Every team is great. Everything is fine. Everything is special, special, special. Come on, man. That's not the way it is. But see, because the NFL and its 32 teams are out there elbow to elbow competing with the independent voices, the people who are the subjects of the coverage, they want it to be everything is great, everything is special, everything is fine, you are great, everything you say is great. That's just not the way it is. It's not the way we're going to do it. And we've been doing it for 17 and a half years now. And, and I love it when people try to say, well, you should do this, or you should say that, or you're better than this, or you should say, look, our instincts as to what is and isn't interesting, they've been pretty good for 17 and a half years. Plenty of other media outlets have died over the last 17 and a half years because they continue to give people what they think people should want. We give them what they want. And if we were lying and misleading our audience by using clickbait, by getting someone to click on something that really isn't true, and we see all that stuff, we see those ads. Oh, you won't believe that. Oh, they blew their mind when they saw whatever. We see that crap all the time. That's clickbait. We tell you what the story's about. We give you a synopsis in 280 characters or less. And that click, when you run that click, you're going to get exactly what the tweet says it is. Period. All right, what else is going on today? I, I've spent the last hour and a half screwing around with the grill. So, you know what? Maybe I should refresh PFT real quickly before we move on to the questions that you have on this Monday, May 7. That's Phil. See what I'm doing as I say that and I take my time? That's giving me time to see what's happening in the National Football League. J.J. Watt's motivated to return to form. I mean, who isn't? Everybody's motivated this year. Kobe Fleener's out in New Orleans. That's not a surprise. Not a surprise at all. It, it just didn't work, and it never worked. And the question is, who's going to give Kobe Fleener his next chance? He was decent. I was surprised that, that he wasn't the one who got the money in Indy. Remember, it was Kobe Fleener and Dwayne Allen. Came out the same year, 2012, with Andrew Luck, and they both were highly regarded, but Fleener was the one who was generating the stats. Allen wasn't. Allen, after he got the long-term contract in Indy, Fleener got his deal with the Saints. Allen got traded to the Patriots and... I'm surprised he's still on the roster. Boston Herald reports that the Patriots are working on tweaking Rob Gronkowski's contract. It would be interesting to see whether they give him more money this year or whether they give him an incentive package like last year. Currently, he's making $8 million for this year. That's the same as what Trey Burton is making per year in Chicago, which has to be a slap in the face. Third string tight end for the Eagles, best known for throwing a touchdown pass in Super Bowl 52. Maybe it's quarterback money. And then Jimmy Graham getting $10 million a year. Again, he got $10 million a year on his, uh, on his uh, last deal. And now he's getting $10 million a year on his deal with the Packers. C.J. Anderson signing with the Panthers. Just got the text, so I got to tweet this. By the time you hear this, you will have seen it. All right, I just tweeted it, and now i got to let my people know to write up the story while I continue to prattle through the... This is real-time stuff. This is how the sausage is made. I get a text, and I tweet it, and I say, 
C.J. Anderson to the Panthers. See my tweet. Who can get? Boom. And that's that. That's the sausage-making process. It ain't all that sexy. It's very, it's very nuts and bolts. It, it Making clickbait, the recipe for clickbait is a lot more simple than anyone had envisioned. So now we'll see when the story gets posted. And I assume, I assume that uh, no one else has it. I don't think so. We'll see. C.J. Anderson, five years with the, was it five years? Yes, it was five years with the Broncos. After three years, he was a restricted free agent. He signed an offer sheet with the Dolphins. The Broncos matched. It was four years, $18 million, if I recall correctly, and there's a chance I don't. There were two years, $9 million left. The Broncos tried to trade him early in the offseason. No takers, and he was released. And the thinking was maybe the Dolphins would be interested. They were not. C.J. Anderson joins the Carolina Panthers. They cut Jonathan Stewart in the offseason. They've got Christian McCaffrey, who was the eighth overall pick in the draft last year. Okay, see, it's good that I was paying attention to my my, uh, uh, text messages while we do this. Roquan Smith had his team-issued iPad stolen from the car. Yeesh. iPad, other electronics, two watches, shoes, his Georgia helmet, and three jerseys he wore at Georgia last season were all stolen out of his 2018 BMW X5. No damage to the car, suggesting Smith had left it unlocked. That's the only design flaw. I learned that from Jerry Seinfeld when his apartment was burgled. He explained to... Kramer, all the locks he has. The only flaw with that lock is uh, for it to work, the door must be closed. So you got to press the little button on the key fob, broke one. Wow. I'm sure that they won't be able to access that playbook unless he wrote the passcode on the back. My guess is that iPad is password protected. And if you try to open it two or three times, it's just going to shut down. And it's going to wipe itself clean. I'm sure they have all that in there. If they don't, they should. So I'm not worried about the iPad falling into the wrong hands. And and really, how much are they giving Roquan Smith right out of the gates? So, but but interesting. See, uh, Cliff, Cliff Averill has taken a, a job with uh, KJR in Seattle. KJR, a station that carries PFT Live, 3 to 6 a.m. local time. For any of you in Seattle who listen, PFT PM Posse represent. Averill will be on the midday team. I wonder what the midday team is. Is that the... That's not Dave Softy Mahler. I'm on with him. That's like late afternoon. One last point. I was surprised to see Todd Wiki so aggressively defend Roger Goodell against all the criticism he takes. In part because I think Wiki got forced out. He was the COO. Of the Carolina Panthers, or Carolina Panthers, I'm still looking at that that text. COO of the NFL. But, look, he looks like he's taking the high road. That never hurts. Never hurts to gratuitously throw praise in someone's direction. But, you know, the point that Todd Lywicki misses is one of the reasons Roger Goodell makes so much money is to be the guy who takes all of the criticism so the owners don't have to. And that's why Goodell's fine with it. That's what he's paid for. It's hazard pay. It's so the men behind the curtain can focus on not being rich and famous, but just being rich. That's the only thing better than being rich and famous. Be rich. All right, let's answer some of your questions. I think we've covered all the ground that we can possibly cover on this Monday edition. I want to get out there and keep working on the grill also. Sorry. Got to get it ready to go. Got to cook some, got to cook some meats on it tonight for the Penguins-Capitals game. 7 p.m. Eastern, NBCSN. All right. That's already out there. That uh, I don't know if it's people just retweeting my tweet or if it's been announced or what, but C.J. Anderson signing with the Carolina Panthers, and I'm looking for the Batman tweet from today. Time to answer your questions. 63 of them. PFTP and Posse, if they use your idea for the draft order and cut you a consulting check, you'd better split that with the greater PFTP and Posse since you said we had a big hand in it. How am I supposed to do that? I will continue to provide the PFTPM podcast free of charge indefinitely. And that happens either way. They're not going to they're not going to give me a consult. They're not going to. Okay, I guess I should say, okay, PFTPM posse, I'll give you half of whatever the NFL gives me for the idea that I have given them 
for improving the draft, which is the 20 teams that don't make it to the playoffs, it's a straight lottery, not weighted in any way, shape, or form. And for the 12 teams that do make it to the playoffs, it's based on how you finish in the postseason. And if the NFL adopts it and pays me a consulting fee gratuitously, a true gratuity, I'll split it with PFTPM Posse somehow. The original members of the PFTPM Posse will all get a piece of it once I figure out who they are. Per PFTPM Posse member, that devil is mine. In the future, do you ever see players shying away from signing with the Patriots because of Bill Belichick's authoritarian-type control over his team? No, because there's always going to be players who want that. Football players are used to submitting to the will of the coach. They're going to be players who want to win, and also they're going to want to get paid. Would you rather sign with a team that already has two or three guys who do what you do, or would you rather go to a team who has nobody who does what you do? So I I think that players will continue to choose to play for the Patriots. They're going to be interested and inclined to take advantage of what they can learn from Belichick. They view it as a test. They think they'll come out of it better. Now, I don't don't see him shying away. PFTPM Posse, is there another potential avenue to overturn a BS suspension like Tom Brady and Ezekiel Elliott? They both failed in court. Is there a different legal argument to try in the future? If they couldn't win seemingly easy cases, what next? Here's the problem. The NFL has the power, judge, jury, and executioner in these cases. And this is not power that was first given to the NFL in 2011 by the NFLPA. This is power that has been in the hands of the union for years. Power over the integrity of the game, suspending players in situations where there's a threat to the integrity of the game. That's been something the NFL has had the power to do for years. So what do the players give up now in order to get back something that helps two or three players per year maximum? There's really nothing else you can do. And that's why Ezekiel Elliott eventually abandoned his litigation. And that's why I think there won't be any further lawsuits by players unless they're in a position to win the race to the courthouse. That's their only chance. So, and again, we we don't have one right now. I don't know who's next, but you're at the mercy of whatever Roger Goodell chooses to do. PFTPM Posse, when they get rid of the kickoff, there will be another most dangerous play in the game, so they will go after it again and again and never stop until football doesn't resemble football. I agree, kind of. I think what will happen next is they'll go after the most dangerous techniques, which they're doing with the helmet rule. I think eventually they're going to move to the two-point stance. I, I, and, and I don't know whether this is planned or not, but the progression I see with the kickoff, they'll change the point where we all say, screw that, let's just get rid of it. It's a meaningless play now. Why do they do it? That's what will happen to the kickoff. With the helmet rule, especially as it applies between the tackles, offensive and defensive linemen, I think that when they see how hard it is to enforce the rule, that will help push them towards saying, we're just going to get rid of the three-point stance because there's no way to take the head out of the game when guys are firing out either offensive and defensive. And on a running play, they're both firing at each other and the head is going to be involved. And when they get rid of the three-point stance and they convert to two-point stance across the board, that's when football will be dramatically and irrevocably changed. And then they'll realize, well, okay, the center can't be in a two-point stance unless you do the old side snap. Remember the side snap when you were playing sandlot football as a kid? So will the center be protected against getting hit like the snapper is now you can't hit the center these changes are going to continue once the most dangerous play is gone then it will be the most dangerous techniques and football will be unrecognizable and the nfl will be laying the foundation for someone else to come in and say we're going to make a football league that plays football the way it used to be played and people are going to be interested in playing it watching it and covering it guaranteed PFTPM Posse, is Big Ben really so dense and oblivious that he doesn't see that the Steelers have to start planning for life after him now that he started imitating Brett Favre's late career antics, the ones involving retiring, not his cell phone antics yet? Yes. 
Yeah, he is oblivious. He wants it his way, and he wants to reserve the right to walk away. He doesn't want them to replace him, but he wants to be able to put them in a position where they have to replace him any given year. And even when he says, I'm all in for three to five years, there's a caveat. The caveat is, I'm still going to take a look at it every year. You know, if the offensive line is still blocking well, you know. So he, he may leave any given year. So they have to be ready. Now, maybe they did screw it up last year drafting Joshua Dobbs, and I think the fact that they drafted Mason Rudolph round three this year, a year after drafting Dobbs in rounds four, is a sign that they did screw it up. But that that means Dobbs out, Rudolph in, and Rudolph the guy they groom. And, and I don't see, just like I don't see the Ravens giving Joe Flacco the benefit of the doubt when he slips and they feel like they can replace him, and you can argue he already has slipped and they're just trying to replace him. When Roethlisberger slips, if they think they have a replacement, they're not going to hesitate. After all the stuff Roethlisberger's put them through, on field and off field, they won't they won't bat an eye when the time comes to move on. PFTP and Posse, do you think the NFL and NFLPA could and or would agree to swap out standing for the anthem and allowing players to use cannabis without any potential consequences and repercussions? Seems like a win-win. I mean, yeah, that's possible. That's possible. I just don't think the NFL wants to give up anything to require the players to stand, and we'll see what the courts, or at least the arbitration process, has to say. PFTPM Posse, via That Devil Is Mine, why does the wide receiver position seem to churn out more unstable and overly emotional players than any other position? Look, I I used to think that, or I, I used to not be sure whether or not the receiver position attracts diva mentalities or creates them. It used to be, it was that look at me, look at me, big personality, I must have the football. Now you got a lot of great receivers who just go about their business and keep their mouths shut, like Julio Jones and A.J. Green. And Marvin Harrison was like that. It used to be the exception when guys didn't try to attract as much attention as possible. But but I do think the fact that you are the center of excitement and attention. You're making the acrobatic play. You're scoring the touchdown. I think those things all come together. And and they do... They I think they attract someone who wants that specific type of spotlight and who wants to play the game that way and be in that spotlight, in that moment, making that catch. Cuba Gooding Jr. at the end of Jerry Maguire. That big catch, that big memorable catch. I think... I think there's a personality type that it does attract, but it also attracts plenty of guys who nowadays just want to go out and do their job. At Stephen Wise 89, you said last week that uh, Mrs. Florio is also a type A personality and former lawyer. Do you and she have rules for marital, marital, marital or marital debates? Uh, rules? I don't know. The rule is, you know what? Be careful because we got to live together. The fact that you live together, I think, goes a long way toward ensuring that everyone stays within appropriate bounds of fairness when making their arguments as we uh, cross-examine each other based upon whatever issue comes up. On tour forever, any new updates on the PFTPM Posse t-shirts? I got to work on my nephew, Anthony Zeech, works for the NHL. I got to see if he's had a chance to put anything together. They've been very busy. It's playoff season in the NHL, as you may have heard. The Impact 99, whose reaction to the potential replacement being drafted is more troublesome for the team, Joe Flacco or Ben Roethlisberger, which one is more entertaining? I, I think that troublesome, more troublesome for the team, probably Roethlisberger because I think the Steelers still want him to play at a high level. I think in Baltimore, they sense that Flacco is slipping and it's a win-win for them either way. It's going to force Flacco to play better, or it's going to expose that he can't, and it opens the door for Lamar Jackson. So I think Roethlisberger's reaction, probably more of an issue, because it, it the way that Roethlisberger is handling it, he's saying things that will foment angst, anxiety, controversy among the backups, one of whom is going to get fired, right? He And I guess he's just stating the obvious, but... but you know, I think it creates extra issues for Josh Dobbs, and it creates potential controversy between Dobbs and Mason Rudolph, not that that wasn't going to be there. It's probably better to say nothing. Saying nothing like Flacco has done, that's probably less of an occasion to create problems. 
Leapers 500, there was a colloquy on Twitter, Twitter regarding how Adam Silver was in conversation about the NBA's efforts in social media, their engagement and interest in who watches and when and how poorly the other commissioners are in really answering or doing anything in comparison. Do you agree? I haven't read it. That's a long question. I, I should have scanned it before I answered it. I, I don't know about the NBA's efforts in social media and how they compare to the NFL's. ATG, ASCR1, Alexander Sandoval, the NFLPA is fighting back. What does that mean for the cases of Eric Reed and Colin Kaepernick? Well, it's just a different front for attacking the way the NFL has handled the anthem issue. And this is more of a direct attack at whether or not teams can ask questions about whether or not you will protest, whether you can be excluded from employment because of your desire to protest during the anthem the existing Reed and Kaepernick grievances are about collusion, which collusion is independent of the reason why you collude. You just collude because you're making decisions on a coordinated basis, and that's prohibited. The reason for the collusion doesn't matter. So it's just a, a, a way that the union is applying direct pressure and making a direct challenge to the way the NFL is handling the anthem issue by having a policy that says you're not required to stand, but by essentially allowing the teams to decide case by case whether they want standing and whether they are going to shy away from potential employees who won't stand. Recliner QB, how can anybody seriously defend Roger Goodell other than the owners he acts as a bulletproof vest for? They could have made and would have made even more money without his asinine suspensions of superstar players and ass-backwards investigations. I, I, look, that's, that's the point that I made with the Todd Wiki remarks. Roger Goodell isn't overpaid. Yeah, he's not overpaid because he takes flack for the owners. He's there to advance their agenda items and allow them to not be the ones who get criticized. That's the way it works. And he's proud that he can do it. It's his way of showing that he's mentally tough. Sean Alvashire. <laughs> Don't you think Warren Buffett interviewing for the Dunder Mifflin regional manager position is one of the great moments in TV history? That is random. I like it. I don't know that it's one of the great moments in TV history. I would guess that most of the audience had no idea who the guy was who was interviewing for the position. Oh, this is a good question. This is important. At Undead Number 9, when you order Pizza Hut, which crust do you get? Pan, stuffed, or tossed? Hand-tossed. Do you get anything on the crust? What are your toppings of choice? All right. The order is going to be made here for tonight. And I think we're going to have enough tonight that what I will get... They have a deal where you get two mediums for $5.99 each. I'll get four mediums under that deal. I will get one thin crust with pepperoni and bacon. I will get one hand-tossed with, I think it's the Parmesan flavor crust. With And, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but you need to try it. And you'll appreciate it if you try it. Grilled chicken and pepperoni with marinara sauce and the Parmesan crust. I'm telling you. Once you have that, that's all you want. I may get two like that tonight. And then I'll probably get sausage and onions on the fourth one. But I may go two of the chicken and, and pepperoni. I'm telling you, it's I'm, last week I tried it, and I thought I'm the only one who's going to like this because everybody else wants, you know, they want the meat on the pizza. It was a big hit, the chicken and pepperoni. And, and actually, the first night I got it, they accidentally did not put the pepperoni on, and it was just as good without the pepperoni. There's something about the chicken and the marinara sauce and the cheese and the way they do it. It's, it's excellent. Highly recommend it, and I'm getting very hungry. At Vaughn, I don't get how people seem to not understand. You have to have an interesting lead title for an article, or people won't click. Is that the most frustrating aspect of your line of work? No, it's not the most frustrating, but it is frustrating that people think that, I mean, what are we supposed to do? And again, I believe clickbait is an effort to misrepresent what it is the story's about. That's not fair. That's not proper. And I think that the audience should demand better than that. But you have to, right? You, ha you have a story. You want people to read it. You have to have a synopsis. You have to have a tweet. And I don't know what the problem with that is.
PFT PM Posse did you slash Darren Gant. Probably, Darren, get the good old five-minute heads up on the C.J. Anderson story just now. I did. It was me. And if you're listening to this, you'll know that. The question came two minutes ago after we had posted the C.J. Anderson news. At Jonathan P8, I'm going to law school in the fall. Any advice? Uh, yeah, I could be a smartass here, but but I'll give you... I'll give you the most important advice. Show up for every class prepared because it's not that difficult. The concepts aren't that hard. Take the time to prepare for the class. Make sure you are zealous about attending every class. And when it's time to study, don't get caught up in all the guides they have. They have all the different guides you can buy. And everybody's going to get caught up in these supplemental guides that go along with classes. Don't. Because I looked at it this way. You're in class three hours a week for 15 weeks, and then you have your final exam. Chances are that the things that show up on the final exam will be things that the professor felt were important enough to talk about during those 45 hours of class time. It's that simple. Take very good notes. Keep your notes organized. I don't know how they take notes nowadays. Do they write the notes? Do they type the notes? Either way, keep them organized. And what I did, you know, I'm sure no one other than who asked the question? Jonathan cares about this. What I did back in 1988, my God, that was a long time ago. I took a black binder full of three-hole punch white paper with the blue lines on it, and I just took that with me. I didn't have separate notebooks for the classes. I had a binder of white paper that I carried with me to every class. And I would take notes for each class, and then at the end of each week, I tried to do it as I, as I went, but I'd usually do it at the end of the week. Sometimes I'd get a week or two behind. I would take those notes and I would type them into a more structured and, and formatted outline of the concepts. Just basically, I'm retaking the notes from class and, it's, and that would program it into my brain. And then I would have something that I could study when it was time to study for the final because in most of these classes, you got one test. That's it. Sometimes they would do a midterm. Most time, it's one test. So I would have that and I would study that. But the act of making it between taking the notes in the first instance and then taking those notes and turning them into an outline, I I really didn't need to study after that. And I would use different mnemonic devices. And uh, I remember I did, and, and God, again, nobody cares but this is kind of a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, There was a really difficult property course first semester, first year. And I was determined that I was going to remember not just every concept that we learned, but I was going to remember the name of the case that the concept came from because so many of the legal concepts in law, they they are the result of some, some big deal legal fight that generated the precedent that stands for that proposition. So... What I did was I took the entire semester and I broke it down into chapters or subjects or whatever. And within each topic, there were um, typically eight, nine, ten different case names. And so what I did was I took those nine, and this is back when I liked baseball. I took those nine case names and I organized them into the positions of a baseball team. So I remember the name. So it was just like remembering who's on teams. Like, who's the first baseman? Who's the second baseman? Who's the, as long as you don't get yourself into an Abbott and Costello problem, you're fine. And as soon as I went in for the exam, I took a piece of paper and I listed the starting lineups for the nine teams. And all I had to do was see the name, and I knew exactly by that point what that case stood for. So I was able not just to articulate the principle, but I was able to actually spit out the name of the case. And uh, the exam went extremely well. And that set the pace for me to... Uh, to do as well as I had hoped to do and probably better than I ever should have done in law school. But it was all organization, diligence, study, and, and, and find that way to go over and above. So when it's time to spit back to the professor what the professor has been teaching you, you'll do it in a way that the professor will say, holy shit, holy shit. So that was always my goal. Get the professor to say, holy shit, while he or she were grading my exam. Okay. That was way too long of an answer. Uh, Next question. Where are we? Where are we? Vaughn, another question from Vaughn. Saw a report the Gronk 
uh, Gronkowski and the Patriots are tweaking his contract. Do you think it will be more similar to what they did last season with incentives, or will it be more of an extension? I don't know what it's going to be, but they need to give him more money. They need to increase his base salary. It can't just be driven by incentives. He has to have protection against blowing out an Achilles tendon or having another serious injury because he's had plenty of them. It shouldn't be you have to show up and play at a high level to get paid because all these other guys are getting theirs. Trey Burton's getting his $8 million. Jimmy Graham's getting his $10 million, regardless of whether or not they get injured. So it needs to be more than that. Tyler Forness, a.k.a. at the real Forno, with its success at the college level, do you think we could see a full-blown air raid offense in the NFL similar to what we saw in the early 90s with the Oilers running? Shoot, here's the problem. What, do we, what, what did we learn in the playoff game in early 93 because of the run and shoot? You can't hold a lead if you run the run and shoot. You can't. So I don't see that working because once you get that big lead and you need to grind the clock, you're not going to be able to. So I think that's the problem. At the Real Forno, what team do you think is being overlooked too much this offseason? Well, I'll tell you this. When I saw the projected wins and losses from Vegas, I saw the Saints at 9.5, and, and I thought, really? Bet the farm on the Saints over. So even though you know, a lot of people see the Saints as a team that will be good, I was surprised by Vegas's take. Also, I feel like the Jaguars, I feel like people think the Jaguars aren't going to do it again. And maybe they won't, but I, I think that we, we just assume they're not going to they're not going to be able to do it two years in a row. Brady asks if Gronkowski played for another team, would a higher percentage of people consider him the best tight end of all time? I I, I don't know. I don't think so. I still think that he'd be viewed that way. What other what other tight end was obsessively game planned for? Obsessively. To the point where it was a talking point, like constantly. How do you stop Gronk? How do you stop Gronk? Or how do you just slow him down because you can't stop him? Sergio D, tell Peter King to call his new Monday column the Monday morning halfback. That's twice as good as the Monday morning quarterback. Oh, I get it. Quarter half. I like it. I still like Monday morning cornerback because if you say it fast enough, it sounds the same. Brady, it's almost transparent to me that the only reason Ben was flirting with retiring the last few years was because he he and Todd Haley didn't gel. Now that Todd Haley is gone, he's committed. I, I agree. I agree with you completely, which is why I think Roethlisberger is surprised that the Steelers went ahead and drafted a quarterback in round three when Roethlisberger, I believe, has privately made it clear to the Patriots the the only reason he was talking about retiring is because he's had enough of Todd Haley. <sighs> what else do we have here? I probably should go. I got some more stuff to do. I got to go get this grill going. If I did not get to your question, please keep asking it. Here's one more real quick one. What's your best memory or story from being on with Paul Allen weekly. I I recall really getting into him after the Vikings lost to the Bears on Monday Night Football in 2016 to fall to 5-2, and two, I think they were at the time. I said that that was a disqualifying loss, that they were smothered by a horrible Bears team, and no team that loses like that in that spot deserves to make it to the postseason. And we really got to, I, we were yelling at each other. I really enjoyed that. And, and also, I had him on the ropes. He was just being a homer. And I was telling him, you, you got to set that bag down, and you have to look at it objectively. This team has no business getting to the playoffs. If they're going to lose like that on a big stage Monday night against the Bears, a Bears team that was woeful. So I do remember that. Another one that I was reminded of this past weekend because I was on with him the day before the Kentucky Derby. He calls horse racing at, I think it's, is it Canterbury Park? Is that it? Am I misremembering that? He calls horse races in Minnesota, and I was on there once a few years ago, and we started riffing about horse racing, because I look, I understand NBC has the Triple Crown, and that's fine. I, I, I just, I, I have this thing about horse racing from the perspective of two things. One, the horse has no friggin' idea what's going on. The horse doesn't know. Hey, you won the Kentucky Derby. Okay. What's that? Who are you? Give me food. You know, they run because they're they're trained to run. They're conditioned to run. I don't think they appreciate what they're doing. They don't know. 
Oh, he's the world's greatest athlete. But it's not even an athlete. It's just an animal that runs on command. Big deal. It's no more impressive than telling a dog to bark. Bark. And it barks. Okay. You're doing what you tell it to do. I also, you know, the whole, you know, if the dog, if the horse breaks its leg, they kill it. There's got to be a, this, can't they, I mean, they, they don't kill us when we break our legs. Isn't there a way to put a cast on a, I don't know why they kill the horse. So I, I got off on that rant and I was doing a whole Barbaro bit and, and, uh, he got in trouble. <laughs> with his, with his, he showed up and they were pissed at him because I was doing all these bits about horse racing. So that was funny. And we started, we started to move toward that flame again on Friday and he cut me off. I said, do they tell the horses break a leg before the race? And are they holding a shotgun when they say it? He didn't, he didn't like that. So that's one of my more memorable visits with Paul Allen. All on that note, nearly an hour on this Monday. I got to get this grill up and running. I, I'm getting, I got like the itch. Like I got to get back out there and make sure that it's working. And uh, we'll do this again on Tuesday. Chris Sims at some point this week. PFT Common is going to be on PFT Live tomorrow, regardless of what happens in tonight's Capitals-Penguins game. I may get him on PFT PM at some point later in the week. We're continuing to try to line up some of these GM interviews in the aftermath of the draft. So all those various fronts as we get deeper and deeper into the month of May. Thanks for your continued support of PFT PM. And let me tell you, subscribe to the podcast. Get your friends listening. Go to iTunes and review and rate the podcast. That helps whatever the algorithm is for people thinking that the podcast is a big deal. We continue to work on getting sponsors, although I haven't done much to work on it personally because I'm otherwise occupied, but hopefully maybe we get a DCS grill sponsorship. That's the grill I bought DCS grill. And it is an ass kicker. And hopefully it's not a, uh, a home exploder. I got to make sure the natural gas is all properly, you know, everything's like connected and you know, we don't want to have any, in, in all seriousness, I, one of the reasons I quit using propane grills was because I had a case 20 years ago involving a propane explosion that, that killed someone. It sparked a, what was it? Was it a titanium dust flash fire, 2000 degree flash fire as a result of a propane explosion? Because propane is heavier than air. There was a propane leak from the forklift tank because it was sitting out in the hot sun and it vented and the propane crept under a wall that was, it was like a metal wall that wasn't flush with the ground. It didn't completely seal and the propane went under. And when the boiler came on, the whole place blew up and I never owned a propane tank anywhere after that. So I got natural gas instead. I don't know that it makes me feel any safer, but you know, I got gas in the house. I got gas outside. I get gas pretty much anywhere I go. Have a great day. Talk to you Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.